And good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here with you. No science advisor, Matt Moniz. No psychic medium, Stephanie Burke. It's just me tonight because actually we're recording this ahead of time. This is a pre-recorded episode that will uh, be airing on WBSM and also sent out to the podcast feed. But right now, Stephanie and I are at the Spirits of the Season event in Winchenden, Massachusetts at the Murdoch Whitney House and the Isaac Morris House. We're there with our friends. Uh, Amanda Millette, who you know from the program, Spooky New England, Spooky New England Ghoul. We, we, we've had her on the program before. And uh, and also Becky Ann Galantine, my bloody Galantine, who you heard as part of our roundtable on women in the paranormal recently, but also who will be joining us uh, in the future here on Spooky South Coast as well, because she has a lot of fascinating information to bring to us about the world of the paranormal and especially as someone who worked as a mortician. So uh, we'll find out more about that when we have her come on coming up in the new year. And speaking of the new year, this is the final edition of Spooky South Coast for 2022 because the next two Saturday nights are holidays. So we will be taking those nights off. There will be no Spooky South Coast on Christmas Eve, no Spooky South Coast on New Year's Eve uh, because... I mean, I know, yeah, New Year's Eve, you could probably get the show done earlier and all that kind of stuff, but I, I just lock myself in the house and stay home. I go and I get some snack food to put out a little spread for myself, and then I um, I just stay home because it's not worth it. I'm not really a go-out kind of person anyway, but it's just better to be home and safe and celebrate at home and watch the Twilight Zone Marathon or the Three Stooges Marathon or flip back and forth between both. Anyway, so tonight we're going to be talking, uh, as you know, on Saturday, on Spooky South Coast on Saturday nights, we talk about the paranormal. And tonight we're going to be talking about the gray aliens, but a little bit of a different take about the gray aliens. You're probably used to hearing, you know, the idea of the grays being these this, this race of beings that... This the species of beings that abducts people and 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 seems to have some sort of uh, agenda in regards to um, procreation and and furthering their own race and all of that. Well, our guest tonight is going to share with us a little bit of a different take about the grace. And if you remember, going all the way back to 2011, we had on Nigel Kerner. Nigel Kerner is somebody who has been researching the grays for a number of years, and he has a new book out. That is the final part of a trilogy of books about the greys. And he always looked at the greys as being something different than these biological extraterrestrial beings. And now Nigel has passed away, sadly. He, he died this year. But his friend and, and fellow colleague and fellow researcher, Danielle Silverman, is going to be joining us to dive deeper into Nigel's latest book, which is Gray Aliens and Artificial Intelligence, and to talk more with us about this. So uh, I love the fact that as we, you know, sadly, we are going to lose people in the paranormal who have been folks that we have learned so much from and who have done great research and, uh, and offered and authored great works. But we it, it's so good to see that there are people who want to pick up what it is that they did and carry it on. And for that generation that will pass, I think there's a there's a perpetuity to some of this research now. Whereas in the past, you know, you would lose somebody and you might have a a a, a, a down period in that type of research. And I think now we've got so many diverse voices in this that the research keeps going. The reporting on that research keeps going. But also the people who have been doing this research get a a group of people around them that help them with it and that want to help 
keep that research going, even if that person is no longer with us. And that's what Danielle has done with uh, Nigel's work. So and, and the appearance of Nigel Kerner on Spooky South Coast 11 years ago is still one of the more talked about episodes. It's still one of the more downloaded episodes. And I think that is because it is such a different take on the gray alien. So we're going to get into that with Danielle coming up in just a bit. Uh, just some other things to make you aware of as we are heading into the new year. January will mark the 17th anniversary of Spooky South Coast. So we will have a anniversary show as we do each year, which generally, you know, we always like say, oh, we're going to make a plan for a big anniversary. And then we get close to it and we say, eh, we don't want to do that. We don't want to have an, a big anniversary show. We'll just celebrate amongst ourselves. Uh, maybe if we get to 20 years, maybe then we'll go rent out a hall or something and do a live show somewhere. But uh, I don't think we're going to get that fancy with it this year. However, one thing I will say heading into year 17 is that there will be some changes to the Spooky South Coast podcast because our podcast server is shutting down after having used it now for the past 17 years. It is going to be ceasing service on Oct- October, on December 31st. So as of December 31st, as of January 1st, rather, there will be no more HipCast, which is what we have used for podcasting for years. So I am in the process of moving everything over to another service uh, that should be, well, has to be done by December 31st. Uh, You at least got to get all the old ones off of HipCast. And then we will update you if there are any changes. If all works according to plan, and HipCast says that this should be a possibility, that um, there will be no change that you won't see any difference in the way that you get the program delivered to you because it'll be the same fee that's always existed, just coming from a different source. Um, I have my doubts. I have my doubts if it's going to be that easy. So there may be some changes. And if there are, just rest assured that we have not gone anywhere. If the feed isn't feeding to you from where it normally is, it'll just be somewhere else. And you can always reach out to me, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com if you have any questions about it. We are not ending the show the show is not over it is not canceled it is not finished it is there will be new episodes and all of the same past episodes that we've always had available for you will be available as well i'm actually hoping that as we go along with this change in plan we can actually get some more of the classic archived episodes out there they're all active in the feed the problem is most podcast servers only give you the latest 100 or 200 episodes and we're up to almost 700 now so that's keeping some of the older episodes from showing up but i'm hoping that we can find a service that will um, keep that from happening but we'll see um looking right now at anchor and some other things as well and uh, we'll find a way to get it so that we can get it to as many people as possible so if you do see spooky south coast disappear from your feed uh know that for the next two weeks there won't be an episode so not surprising there but if it gets to be january and you're not seeing those episodes show up uh either give a, your pot your favorite podcast service a, another search to see if if it isn't coming in somewhere else or reach out to me tim at spooky south and, uh, and I think that pretty much covers all of the announcement portion of the program for tonight. So why don't we get right into the discussion with our guest? Tonight, we are joined by our guest, Danielle Silverman, who uh, has picked up the mantle and, and, and carried on the work of Nigel Kerner, who we had on the program before. And we talked with him, you know, at length. Uh, and, and it was one of the more fascinating interviews we've ever, we've ever done, Danielle. And one that to this day, people still talk about Nigel and his, and his, and his appearance on that on our show all those years ago. Really? Wow. That's 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 amazing. It's so long not, ago now. Yeah. Oh, I'd have to I'd have to look. But it's not it's not that surprising either though, considering the type of information that, that he brought to the program. 
Sure, sure, of course. So let's let's talk a little bit about your work with him and, and how you happened upon, you know, him, his work, and, and how you picked up the mantle from him. Yeah, sure. So I met him, must be about 30 years ago now, and uh, I actually met him through a mutual friend uh, who I happened to be having a conversation with, kind of a philosophical conversation about the nature of God, and I couldn't understand um, this religious idea that God could possibly be some kind of directive entity uh, that uh, decide- created us and then had some kind of influence in the world because it just didn't make any sense to me because there's suffering in the world and there couldn't be suffering in the world if there was a loving God who could somehow intervene. And that mutual friend said, oh, okay, you should meet my friend Nigel. Um, he has the same kind of ideas as you. And uh, so I went to meet him and uh, basically we were talking uh, that, that night, all night. And uh, after that, I basically uh, started to work with him and uh, didn't look back for yeah 30 years until sadly um, this year uh, in February, he unfortunately he passed away. But and I'm I'm very sad that we we have lost him. But he gave us so much in the time that he was here, and I know he was working on a number of things uh, when he passed. So are you kind of picking up and, and and finishing off what he was doing? Did he have things that were already finished that were waiting to be published? Or exactly. So he's just had a book published called Gray Aliens and Artificial Intelligence. It's his third book in uh, in a trilogy. He had a trilogy of three. The first one was Song of the Grays. Um, second one, Grey Aliens and the Harvesting of Souls, and the final one, um, Grey Aliens and Artificial Intelligence. So basically, over the years, um, I was so captivated by his ideas um, that I became his researcher. And uh, yeah, I've been working with him all this time. And uh, when it became apparent that um, he wasn't very well, uh, he asked me uh, if I would consider just basically taking these ideas forward into the future. And uh, I said, absolutely. So, yeah, that's what's happening. <laughs> and when we spoke with him, we spoke to him about yeah, the, the second book, about harvesting uh, gray aliens and the harvesting of the soul. And we talked at length about the idea of of the idea that grays are trying to duplicate our souls. They're trying to be more human and they're trying to be more like we are. Yeah. So it's not so much that they're trying to duplicate our souls or okay. be more human. Um, let me explain because it's kind of an involved story. And I'll try. It's a little bit difficult to summarize it in a short period of time because these, these books, they have a lot of information in them. And he basically lays out his entire thesis in that. In, uh, and and it's, a, it's a complex um, idea to put together. But I think I can simplify it. So basically, Nigel was the first person. I believe, anyway, who uh, writes on the subject to say in his first book in 1997 that these alien visitors, these grey alien visitors that are um, witnessed in abduction scenarios and uh, just with UFO sightings are actually not living natural entities. They're a form of bio, of biological robot uh, that idea hadn't wasn't really considered at that time, and it's but more in more recent times over the last maybe five ten years, um, many uh, people in the field are beginning to realise that that's exactly what these entities are, and what Nigel what Nigel suggested was that just as we um, send out probes into into space to explore um, other planets, other locations that we can't physically go to. 
that advanced civilizations elsewhere in the universe would have gone beyond our level of technology. And even mainstream science now accepts that there's absolutely no way we're the only um, planet that has intelligent life. There must be millions of planets out there that do have intelligent life. And, and, met, and some of those would have gone beyond our level of technology. So if we can do this now, their level of technology and their ability to do it would be that much greater. So it would make sense that they would send out something that could survive the tra uh, travel to you know, vast distances. So biological life doesn't survive th that kind of travel the huge distances in space and in the and that kind of hostile environment mm -hmm. and just as we are heading towards um a, f a future in which artificial intelligence will um pretty much run everything on our planet it's there's very little doubt that on those other planets with advanced civilizations artificial intelligence would be the main uh, way in which society would be run and they would set, set, send out an artificially intelligent version, a data field, if you like, of uh, a mechanism which could gather information and carry at the same time all the information about them. So they could upload their inf information about their species, everything they were, send it out into space so that it could be reconstituted elsewhere should anything happen to their planet. And if their planet's anything like, like ours, when advanced technology happens, the planet does get destroyed. So it, it is possible, maybe, that their planet was becoming inhospitable and they sent out these probes into space, programmed with everything they were, with the hope that they could somehow reconstitute that information field at other locations in the universe. So, Nigel, what you, that goes back to your question. Sorry to uh, track so long or uh, make it such a long pathway to no, finally answering it. No, no. Um, your question, so you were talking about... Um, the greys trying to copy our souls. So Nigel asked the question, what could highly intelligent artificial, um, an, art, an art, highly intelligent artificial data field, what would it be? Why would it be interested in something as primitive as human life? Okay, because it doesn't really make sense uh, that something that has anything it could possibly have in the universe at its disposal would be interested in what would be little more than ants to right. it in terms yeah. of intelligence right so what is it that living beings like us intelligent living beings could give them that technology can't give them okay um so our bodies are break down they're less resilient than robots and human human uh, emotions and the way our our minds work and the way we live our lives would interfere with any any kind of intelligent organizational plan they might have so it just doesn't make didn't make sense to nigel that there would be so many visitations uh, on this planet and they have actually been recorded for thousands of years so um, in aborigine cave paintings there's pictures of what they call the wangina which look exactly like greys and these are thousands and thousands of years old so it's basically all through the centuries these visitations have been happening much and, and there has definitely been a concentration of them over the last say uh, 50 60 years so what do we have Nigel asked that they could possibly want 
And Nigel decided that the only thing that it's that we have that could be of any interest whatsoever to something of such vast intelligence would be something that is not of this physical universe, something that's not artificial, something that can't be created out of atoms. And he described that natural connection that we have, that naturalness, uh, um, with what the, the word that's used in many religions and has kind of um, a lot of connotations which perhaps he wouldn't want to attach to to um, the word, a soul, okay? And he defined a soul as a line of connection back um, to a, the state of existence beyond the physical, a state beyond the Big Bang. And he, he suggested that what they have noticed is that we have a field of coherence that cannot... Uh, that a field of coherence that, the, uh, that alien entities, which are purely artificial and purely atomic, cannot have. They break down with what's called the second law of thermo thermodynamics. Their data field, their artificially intelligent data field, breaks down and becomes incoherent because everything in a physical universe is bound by that law of entropy. It, 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 we, our bodies, when, we, when we're born, our bodies eventually rot and die. If you leave a car uh, outside for a while, it will rust and break down. You leave food out, it will rot. Okay, this is a cast iron law of physics. So he suggested that there's something we have that they, the, the one thing that we have that they don't is that field of coherence, which comes from another state prior to the physical state, a, a non-physical, non-atomic state that's timeless and is a state of what he called perfect union. He termed that state the Godverse. And, and he suggested that coherence makes for natural life. Mm. Well, I, I was looking back and I looked at the date. It, it was uh, January 22nd of 2011 that we had Nigel on the program. And I'm thinking in my mind about not only how much, you know, just looking at the grays and the idea of this artificial intelligence behind them, looking at how much we've seen that AI progress in the last 11 years here on earth. So let alone what it might be like for a more advanced uh, civilization, but also looking at what you're talking about, this interconnectedness that we have. I, I feel like in recent years that has only grown and we've only seen more signs of the fact that we really do have that type of interconnection that they would be looking for. Uh Yes. So, so, so sorry, signs that we might have a, a, an interconnection that the aliens might be looking for. Yeah, just just the yeah. fact that we, you know, the way that we've been able to stay connected with each other, even when we had to be physically separated from each other. Right. And I right, don't, I don't sure, mean just sure. using, you know, social media and the Internet. I mean, like we've had these bonds that we felt to people that we were kept separated from. Absolutely. Yes, of course. And those the, the problem is, though, that it seems to be and, and the pandemic kind of uh, precipitated this even faster than it would have happened um uh, without something like um, uh, a threat like that happening, because basically everything was moved online. We, we went, we headed more and more into a, a virtual existence with living through social media and uh, being unable to physically meet people. And a lot of people basically moved their lives away from physical connection. Not everybody, but there's a general trend now uh, towards a, a state of existence in which we do live our lives with minimal 
human connection. And it's Nigel's suggestion that that kind of um, uh, pro progression from human, from natural human connection towards an artificial state of virtual existence is uh, exactly um, the direction that these gray aliens would like us to head in so that we can replicate their artificially intelligent state. And it's not that they're going, they're literally um, trying to make a soul or copy a soul. All they need to do is use, tap in to our ability to have a connection to, that, to a coherence beyond the physical state. In other words, we exist beyond death. And they can in, put their programs into us so that their programs will live on through us. So if they create a world in which there's, for example, transhumanism, brain-machine interfaces, um, people's psychologies living in uh, mortgage to so through social media, and uh, living on the on likes and living their lives through likes and dislikes on a screen, rather than making real connection with each other, then we will be replicating their artificially intelligent data field, and they will be living on through us. But do you do you also think though that if 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 that was to happen, does how does that make us fit into the natural order of things? Then do we become do we become more like them, or do they kind of overtake us? Very good question. So it's Nigel's suggestion that what will happen in time is that yes, we will become more like them, and and what he suggested that is that at the point of death we pass into a state of less tension, less force, so to speak. There's kind of a threshold. Okay, so there's, and uh, there's he believed in reincarnation, and he suggested that whatever we are, whatever our qualities are, whatever our focus is, we will go to a state which is resonant with that focus. So if we focus on values and priorities that are that are not of the physical universe, not of um, materialism or artificial constructs, then we were more likely to go to a place of less force, a place that is more like that when we die. Whereas if we focus on material things and we're caught in habits and patterns which don't ha aren't meaningful in terms of human connection, we will tend to stay more in a on the forceful side of that interface. And and he suggested that perhaps that's what ghosts are, but not all ghosts, not just uh, every ghost that's seen, but quite often people see ghosts doing the same action again and again and again, putting a book on a shelf or walking in and out of a room. There seems to be some kind of state of capture that some souls seem to get into. And it's that interface which is still on the uh, on the edges of the physical state that Nigel suggested these grey aliens uh, want to hold souls in because that's still touching the edges of force. And that's the um, direction that they're trying to um, head all of humanity in because that's where they can keep a hold of us in that state mm. and, and what do we have on our side to be able to stop that to be able to keep something like that from happening 
a very good question. So that's the, that's the whole point, and that's where the hope lies for all of this. So when people, for example, have near-death experiences, okay, and they have positive near-death experiences, they describe the most incredibly beautiful state that they enter into with a, a, an indescribable sense of love that that um, many people who've had near-death experiences just long to experience again and they miss that that sense of total unconditional love they also describe what's called a life review where everything that's happened in their life uh, rushes before them Okay, And in that life review, many of them are absolutely amazed that the only um, incidents in their life that seem to feature to have any importance at all are experiences in which they have either helped somebody else and engrandized somebody else and made them feel wonderful and given them a sense of freedom or have hurt somebody else. And they live through all those feelings that they have um, given to other people, good or bad in that life review and many experience experience of uh, nidhez experiences report that they're absolutely amazed that all the things that they thought were important in their lives so uh, let's say academic qualifications sports prizes uh, status material positions any kind of target that we would normally aim for uh, as the as uh, milestones in our lives and, and consider to be achievements they just don't feature in this life review it's just it just doesn't even exist so nigel um suggested that if we can maintain a value system that treasures human life as the only thing that's or, or not just human life but uh, life of any kind as the only thing in the physical universe that has this coherence has this precious ability to counter the, the breakdown of the second law of thermodynamics. If we, if we treasure that both in ourselves and in others and live our lives as the great teachers, all of them in all the various religions suggested, then we will be the opposite to the gray alien programs that they're trying to install um, on this planet. And if, if we're the opposite to it, they can't touch us. And and I and I think that part of that though would have to rely on us. We we need more unity among us to be able to to do those kind of things. Uh, yes, of course, but that that unity would just start from within every individual, making that unity, making that sense of union from within themselves, and making it happen. Yeah, but it, it's not. It's certainly not a hopeless situation. It's it's. But if you look at the world, and I have children, and when I look at what's happening to the world, I do find it extremely worrying because we do seem to be heading for some kind of what, what some people call a new evolutionary stage where we will be merging with machines. And it's, that's even you, we saw at the time of the, um, uh, the pandemic uh, with what was going on then. There were rules and regulations that we were asked to follow. Some of them we would not have dreamed of following before this kind of thing had happened. But because of the sense of fear, we were we were falling into place, falling into line and accepting regulations that we would never have accepted before. I know in um, in, in the UK, um, 
children under the age of uh, no children over the age of eleven were taught were, were if they if they didn't want to if they wanted to have a vaccine in school they were they were given um, the right to go against their parents and have the vaccine. So that's just one example of the kind of um, force forces and pressures that people will follow if they're put into an atmosphere of fear. And you can imagine in the future, let's say um, we're told that we need some kind of chip to monitor our health, to monitor our vaccine status. And that has to be there in for everybody's safety so it can be monitored. That chip is inserted into us. Uh, it will it will also monitor everything um, medically. They could tell us so that if there's, there's anything wrong, doctors will immediately be informed and they'll they'll see it as a great, a wonderful benefit for our health. As so, but as soon as you have a chip inside you, then hacking becomes an issue. And I would say and, I, and Nigel, I think, would say the same thing. It does look like that kind of thing is a possibility in the future, in the very near future. Well, it, it, but as you was mentioned, you know, we, we've had to we, we have to kind of work in conjunction with the machines and the artificial intelligence that will develop. And I think you will have, you know, I, I, I know people look at movies, sci fi movies, horror movies, and they say, you know, it's going to get to the Terminator point where, you know, the machines take over. And, and I think that the balance here is that, you know, human beings are never going to like you're saying, they're never going to give up their free will. They're never going to give up their individual autonomy there may be some times where that's challenged and where there has to be pushback but i mean i think for the most part it would be hard to get mankind as a species to submit even to mankind as a species i i would hope that that would be the case and i i love your optimism i wish that was true but i have to say at the time of the pandemic i saw how happy people were to follow no matter what the what the the kind of um with the when there's enough fear then it's people are pushed into a situation where they will follow so for example um in england behavioral scientists were employed right to nudge human behavior um to towards a predetermined goal to instill in the public a sense of lack of control to which they look for an authority to lead them and the official UK government advisory board on the pandemic that's called SAGE, it published a manual. OK, um, and it was called. And in this manual, there was a section called options for increasing adherence to social distancing measures. And it said in order to achieve its aims, the perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased among those who are complacent using hard hitting emotional messaging. Consideration should be given to the use of social disapproval, but with a strong caveat around unwanted negative consequences. So people were pushed and and forced into a situation where they would accept things that they wouldn't otherwise accept. And, and they're now looking back on that time and saying, oh, my goodness, what's happened? What did we do? So it's I, I just feel that if if enough influence is out there to push put people in a situation where they feel they have to take on some kind of chip or some kind of uh, biomechanical um, interface a brain machine interface in order to continue living their lives 
I don't think it's so unlikely that that would happen. I mean, let's say there's some kind of enhancement that they can give um, to uh, babies, okay? Some kind of genetic enhancement through something like uh, Elon Musk's Neuralink or some kind of genetic engineering. And if parents are in a situation where their child doesn't have what other children have and can't compete educationally, would they be pushed into having that kind of technology for their children? It just seems to me psychologically, th- these kinds of things can and and very well might take hold. So let, let's take a look at what it is that the, that the grays themselves would be looking to influence. Would they, would they come and would they try to, work subversively like that would would some of these things like what what you're talking about where you know people made these concessions during the pandemic would the grays come and try and push those same kind of things on us without us realizing what was happening uh well yes exactly so the grays the best way to understand the grays is not so much as um like us as actual aware beings with motivations with um uh, bad will or um, negative emotions because because they're machines they don't have emotions they're not aware they don't have personal motivations okay so uh, as hum- as natural life we're aware we're conscious but these are just like the hard drive on your computer it's a data field Okay, and any artificially intelligent data field would have two programs that would have to be part of it to gather as much information as possible. Okay, and to survive, to 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 make that information to 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 be in a situation where that information can survive in the best possible, most coherent format for as long as possible. Okay, so basically what they would be doing is networking their artificial, uh, artificially intelligent data quantum network into our society. And they would try to spread that network as far as they possibly could. Into through and and we are basically um, making our own grays for the future because we are going in that exact same direction and that's not to say that technology is in itself a negative thing of course not i mean there can be incredible uses for technology that uh, that benefit people hugely the only problem with technology is when we mortgage our natural human sense of connection and invest that in technology so that we no longer have that sense of connection. Well, why don't we, we're, we're going to take a break here coming up for the news. When we come back on the other side, I want to dive into more about the, uh, the experiences that people are having with the gray aliens. We'll talk about abductions. We'll talk about that. We'll dive deeper into the idea of near death experiences what the, and what those mean and a whole lot more. So stay tuned. We'll take a break for the news. And then when we come back more with our guest, Danielle Silverman, as we are talking about Nigel Kerner's latest book, gray aliens and artificial intelligence. We'll be back with more in just a little bit here on spooky South coast on WBSM.
and welcome back in our number two of Spooky South Coast. And uh, uh, this is Tim Weisberg, of course, but no Matt Moniz tonight, no Stephanie Burke tonight. This is actually a uh, a pre-record episode because right now Stephanie and I are at the uh, Murdoch Whitney House and the Isaac Morris House in Winchenden, Massachusetts uh, for the Spirits of the Season event that we're doing there. Our first ever Christmas themed event. When we come back in 2023, we will tell you all about it. We'll tell you about any uh, interesting things that happen and uh, we'll share all of that with you. And, you know, just keep an eye out on the social media for Spooky South Coast on the Facebook page and our Twitter account. It's uh, Spooky South Coast on Facebook and it's at Spooky SC uh, on Twitter. So if there's anything that pops up, you know, we can we can share that along with you. But and now let's get back into our discussion with our guest tonight, Danielle Silverman. We're talking with her about Nigel Kerner's new book, Gray Aliens and Artificial Intelligence. Uh, Nigel has passed and is no longer with us. But Danielle has picked up the the work of Nigel and is spreading the, the information and, and sharing with us why we need to be concerned about the gray aliens and what it is that they are is their actual agenda here in visiting us. And one of the things that comes up often when we talk about alien abductions, Danielle, is the fact that, you know, people experience these in, in different ways that people have. So some people, it's a huge, um, uh, it's a very scary situation to other people. They're more curious about it, but uh, really, is it like that? Is it, is it the experience that is affecting people or, or is it their, their perception of it? Um, well, by all accounts, it's a very real physical experience and, and not just a perception. So people actually come back with uh, wounds and scars on their body from the experimentation that they're facing. But what I'd like to mention, which because I think it's really important, if, especially if there happen to be abductees listening to your show, is that Nigel had a very interesting take on abductees. And he suggested that abductees aren't the ones who are being affected by the greys and who are carrying the greys um, artificially intelligent program and mortgaging their humanity into an artificial outlook. Quite the opposite. He suggested that abductees are individuals who are born into genetically intercepted biological lines. And as we know, abduction runs in families. OK, but they're resisting. They're resisting the effects of what's happening. And what the greys are doing when they investigate them on the ships is trying to find out what's going wrong, what's what's breaking the program, what's interfering with what they're trying to do. So um, abductees are the resistors. They're the ones with a very strong sense of natural humanity that is somehow managing to stop this effect taking place. So when these abductions are happening, what is it that is that is actually going on? What is the actual intention behind it? The intention is to explore the biological capacity of individuals to find out what it is that is stopping those individuals becoming uh, equivalents to as, as equivalent as possible to an artificial entity. So basically what the greys are doing with their um, ge- genetic manipulation, and Nigel suggests yet that they are actually um, uh, interfering with the genome of humanity, not in the abduction process, by the way, that happens through a different process, which is a little bit more too um, complex for, to, for me to explain in a short time in an interview. That's all in the book. Okay, this is it's it it happens um 
uh, with these ghosts that I was talking about, but I can't really um, go into that now because it, it would be too confusing sure. without explaining everything else. But basically, they're trying to uh, intercept our genome. Okay, so 95% of um, our DNA does not code for proteins. And you may have heard this referred to before as junk DNA. Okay, um, but they're recently finding that some of that junk DNA seems to have instructions in it which controls the um, the the, pr the whole process of that five percent of DNA which does code for proteins. Proteins being the um, the actual material that makes up our body. Okay, so that that ninety five percent is full of what um, scientists call alus and trinucleotide repeats. There's many different names for it. Lots and lots of repeat codes of, of DNA that seem to have no purpose whatsoever. Okay, So it's an idle suggestion because he believes that um, we didn't evolve to the state we are in now from a sea worm into through the animal kingdom into a human being we devolved from a greater state into the state we are now uh, and of course the first state of that devolution the best the, was the state of perfection from which we came that he called the godverse so we devolved with the pathway is down and he suggested that at one point 100% of that dna was used and active but as devolution happened and we got more and more um, caught and restricted in a physical state, we stopped using all of that capacity. And the greys are you, that, that where we're not in control, we're only now in control of 5%, the greys can influence us in that 95%. And those cloned copies are, are them putting their interference signals into our DNA so that we can't receive, because Nigel said we were, but we're biological aerials, our bodies are biological aerials for receiving our souls. If they interfere with those biological aerials, we can't receive that information uh, anywhere uh, with the power that we need to. Okay. So in the abduction process, there is there um, the greys are exploring why individuals who are born into those genetically intercepted lines somehow can't are, are inter are still able to break past those blocks that are put into the uh, DNA and and can't be reached by the greys influence. So that they're trying to explore what's going on that's stopping that happening. And that I guess that would explain too why you have people in the same families abducted and why you have people who are later brought together in life who might have been abducted and, and have seen each other in these abduction experiences and then later on meet each other in life and, and end up in relationships with each other. There's there's there seems to be a um a long term approach to, to the study with them. It's not just about each individual and the time that they abduct them. Exactly. And it, it would seem, um, at least the way Nigel understood it, that they're, they're writing their program into us. 
Okay, they're piggybacking on us, so to speak. And that's how um, they, as they were sent out, as I explained earlier, by civilizations like ours, but far more advanced with a data field of that civilization. And the only way that they can keep that data field coherent is to program it into a living field that has that coherence, that still has that connection to um, a, a, a state beyond the, beyond the physical. And when you see the, the, you know, when you see the people who have been abducted and you see the way that their lives have been changed from that, is, does that give you an idea and an insight into what it is that's actually being manipulated? So, like some, um, some people, on, sorry. I was yeah. going to say, like some people come back and they, they tend to have more, um, you know, psi abilities. Some people come back and they have, you know, actual physical changes. There, there does seem to be an instantaneous change from the subduction experience. Exactly. And, and so possibly um, these changes are brought about by the implants um, that they, that many abductees come back with. So that's just a physical mechanism, a tracking mechanism, um, which I, I would guess, and this would be speculation, but I would guess that those implants, those tracking mechanisms, are they, their way of trying to control these individuals who have somehow uh, managed to slip the leash and uh, aren't following the pattern that they were born into, the, the uh, genetically intercepted biological pattern that they were born into. Mm. So now when you are you know, talking to people who have had these experiences, what are they reporting is, is the process that they're undergoing? Um, well, there's an, or from what I've heard, and I haven't personally um, interviewed abductees, but David Jacobs and John Mack did, a, did um, some incredible work interviewing thousands of abductees. And it would say, it would seem that the common um, experience that's had is that these gray aliens are investigating especially um the, the gametes uh the sperm and ova they're doing they're um taking extracting sperm and ova looking at them trying to examine what's going on um with the uh sexual organs uh, they seem to be trying to make hybrid babies on the ships so people report uh these very sickly looking hybrid babies on the ships um, that are half human, half alien. They don't seem quite human. And um, it's, it's also been described that the greys who are doing these very, very painful um, procedures on individuals have no concept of, of the pain they're causing. They, they have no emotion. There's no response at all. To the, to the to, to the people who are obviously suffering, which would make sense uh, if they are actually some kind of robotic entity and not something with any kind of human emotion. In fact, um, it's also been reported that uh, they in, they seem to invite abductees to hold these hybrid babies and they they watch to see what it is that. Uh, what what human emotion is they watch them holding and cuddling the babies and 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 have a sort of quizzical look as to, to try to understand what's going on because human emotion is a complete mystery to them do you find that the people who 
you know, have had, just taking a look at the kind of people who have had these type of things, is there anything, obviously, you know, they want to follow up on the work that they've been doing, but is there any anything about them that makes them uh, targeted for this? Is there anything about them that makes them, is there somebody who might be like the good candidate for it? Well, uh, I don't think you could ever say, in, in my opinion anyway, I don't think you would ever say that somebody is a candidate for abduction. But as I was explaining uh, before, it's Nigel's theory that those who are abducted are just simply those who are um, blockers to the program. Mm. Okay, and, and they're just trying to somehow find out why the network that they're trying to create where they're where they're trying to put their information field through into into our natural um living state why that is being interrupted okay so it, it's just it's it's just literally they would have they wouldn't they would uh yeah it's like something that network is trying to spread out and it comes to a block Okay, and it can't go any further. And because the line has been genetically intercepted, it and they can then abduct the individual and try and find out what the block is. Mm, yeah, it's almost like it, it, it's almost like the 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 Greys have a the I don't mean this to be in a, in a flippant way, but a crystal ball. Like they see what the outcome is going to be. They see what the plan is in the future and they're able to kind of stay one step ahead of everything. Well, really, if the greys are what Nigel believes them to be, they're a kind of quantum computer. Okay. So they're trying to create artificially intelligent quantum computers right now on our planet. And it's, it's, uh, and and the, already those quantum computers have gone way beyond anything that we can uh, produce in terms of intelligence. Okay, mm. so and we're also creating, as I'm sure you know, um, human-like robots that are artificially intelligent. Uh, so this kind of and this kind of um, uh, entity is is happening now on our planet we we are very soon probably going to create our own equivalent of the greys so it's not at all really a science fiction scenario yeah i mean we're we're probably to the point too where um <clears throat> it's like the next step of what we need we need to know that there is something beyond us we need to know that there is something else out there because we're kind of spinning our wheels here getting involved in all you know i always call it the star trek moment we need that first contact to let us know that we are capable capable of greater things and i wonder if if we had that dawning moment if that means that suddenly we couldn't rise up and be the stronger species here yeah so really so in terms of strength it all depends what you mean by stronger I, okay. I, yeah. I mean, could we be the could we be on an equivalent level of them? Well, that's that's an interesting point, and I do remember way back Elon Musk saying that the most the biggest danger we have is artificial intelligence because it will get to a stage where it develops uh, to 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 the state at which it realizes human beings are irrelevant, and in order to increase its influence, it will just wipe us out. Okay, and and that's. Not, although that sounds like Terminator and science fiction, do you know all those um, movies about artificial intelligence and the dangers of it? They weren't invented out of nowhere. They were actually um, 
written because the original creators of artificial intelligence were giving those warnings then. And now in England, we have um, at Oxford University and at Cambridge University, we have centers of existential risk where top academics, top philosophers are discussing their fears about the future with artificial intelligence growing in the way it is now. And uh, scientists like Stephen Hawking um, said that if any alien um, visitation were to happen, it would almost certainly be post-biological and um, an artificially intelligent robotic type of existence. So not, this, is, this is hardcore scientific thinking. It's not science fiction. Yeah. And and so Elon Musk, going back to Elon Musk, he's because he said this, um, we could have been forgiven for thinking that he saw artificial intelligence as a bad thing. Okay. And and it's something that could maybe um be a danger to our um our sense of natural humanity. But his the next thing he said after that was, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Okay, so he said that, that's when he came up with this Neuralink idea that if we ourselves become transhuman and make ourselves part machine, then we will be able to rival the artificially intelligent machines or work with them and won't be beaten down by them. Okay. But the question is, if we become part machine, what kind of future will that bring about for us? Is that a future that's desirable? Do we want to be um, do we want to have a chip, uh, ch a chip inside us that can be controlled, that can be influenced? Do we want to be part machine? Do we want to sacrifice our natural humanity? One thing I will say, though, when it comes to so, you, you know, if this is a a an extraterrestrial artificial intelligence, there's not much we can do about that. But at least in terms of the AI that we create, we should always have the kill switch potential. I mean, these things have to be plugged in or run on batteries. You know, we should always make sure that we have that fail safe just in case, but there's not much you can do about it if it's something that's coming from, from an extraterrestrial perspective. Uh, true. It, uh, it, it, there's not much you can do about it if it's coming from, so if we haven't got the switches, in other words, but I would say that even with our own artificial intelligence, it's going to be so way beyond th th hundreds of thousands of times more intelligent than us, it can get past any switch. It's going to be a quantum computer and quantum computers go beyond what you program into them. Yeah. They, so we have this idea that that they will be only what we program into them. That's not how quantum computers work. Quantum computers can li link up to everything. They, they're not limited by their original programs. They can make new programs. They can manufacture their own artificial intelligence. They are not reliant on the programs you put into them. So basically, and this is what the scientists at the Centers for Existential Risk are also saying, this is an enormous threat and it's not being regulated. So I mean, it's it, it, for me, I, 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 you know, I try to wrap my head around that, around the idea of it becoming smarter than we could ever program it to be. And, and I know that it's possible. It's just it's hard for me to wrap my head around. It's, you know, most most computers are smarter than me already. But one of the one of the things that I would be concerned about, if that's the case, if 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 it is going to keep growing exponentially in that intelligence is would there eventually, would there be nothing left for it to learn? Nothing left for it to expand itself to? And then what would happen if it, if it achieved that endpoint? 
So I wouldn't be so worried about the artificial intelligence itself. So all it is, is a data field, okay? There's nothing really that's of any value or meaning about it. it it's just, it's so basic, the smallest um, individual life, even an ant or a worm is, more, is superior to the greatest artificial intelligence because it has that natural connection. It has some form of awareness. Artificial intelligence has no awareness, no knowing. It's just a dead data field. Okay, the only problem with artificial intelligence is when it actually affects what is alive, what is meaningful. Okay, then it's a problem. Okay, so if we allow artificial intelligence to interface into our natural state and to bring us down, that's when it's a problem. So it, it could never reach a level of omnipotence unless we gave it that omnipotence. Oh, it could. It could indeed reach a level of omnipotence, just as an atomic bomb can totally have, have the power to completely destroy a planet. Okay. It, it, an atomic bomb, if it uh, could, has has that power, but it has no meaning and no value. It can definitely have that. It can go out of control, no problem, because it can become more intelligent than us. But when I talk about intelligent, I don't mean intelligence in the sense that human beings are aware and have understanding and and know and experience the world, have a viewing point against which they can see and experience the world. I'm talking about connections, um, like calculations, algorithms. There's no awareness there. There's no feeling. There's no emotion. There's no value. It's just a dead uh, mechanistic um, network of information. Well, we're, we're also talking about things that happen on, you know, this this living plane of existence. Can can these beings have influence over other realms of consciousness? So like when we've shed our mortal, mortal coil and, and if our consciousness goes on to something greater than this, do, do they have an effect on that on that landscape as well? Well, that's a very interesting question, because and, and as I mentioned, I can't really go into the full details of this because it's too complex. But what I can say is that. As I already mentioned, there are if you if you do tend to be the type of person who's restricted and caught and doesn't have a sense of the value of um, humanity and other people and caring and follow the value systems that were recommended by all the great teachers of the past. If, if you do tend to be the kind of person who's um, set in materialism, selfish, ruthless, Okay, then it's possible because you've chosen that pathway, you get you stay in the physical restricted state and can't get past that barrier to a less forced state beyond at the edges of atoms, so to speak, which Nigel um, described happens at the point of death. Okay, so there are some people who have negative near-death experiences okay and I, i've got an actually got an example of one of those in front of me so um dr francis cerevello um, was a, a doctor in fort lauderdale and he said he was present when one of his patients coded five times in the er he'd known the man for many years and he was a very calm nice gentleman as nice as you'd ever want to meet after he was revived, he told the doctor that he saw fire and little creatures about four and a half feet tall all around him. 
He described them as bad-looking, terrible creatures, and he saw them every time he died. So little creatures four and a half feet tall sounds very much like the greys um, to me. Mm-hmm. Another NDE experience reported after undergoing bypass surgery that she found herself in an enormous silver great place, rather like a hangar for aeroplanes, but going on forever. And miles away, there were some tiny figures. So it does seem to be the case that some people who have negative near-death experiences do experience some kind of grey contact. Well, and that's very, very different, polar opposite of the other kind of near-death experience. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, the, the, the more positive, the light, you know, stepping into the light and being surrounded by your loved one experiences, I can't imagine that that would be greys masking themselves. No, I, I, I wouldn't guess so. No, I mean, so it, it, it's there's, there do seem to be two very different kinds of near-death experiences. We don't often hear the negative ones. I don't know if perhaps they're too traumatic. Uh, for for some people to remember that would be again pure speculation most of the experiences we hear do tend to be the positive ones but there are a few like this and uh, it it does seem to be the case that in that twilight zone um, at the edges of atoms there seems to be something waiting there yeah, my, my friend John Tenney uh, had a, a very negative death experience, actually. He actually died, and uh, and they, they were able to bring him back. But in, in his experience, uh, he always described it as being this cold, dark void. Like, he said the, the worst thing he can say about it is, like, there's there's you just know that there's no love. No love exists there. And it just makes you feel like a horrible, horrible feeling, and you never want to experience that again. And I, and I wonder if that's the kind of experience you know, that, that these beings are giving off, if that's, if that's what it's like to just be around one of them. It, it is, it is possible. And, but the, the, the uh, wonderful thing is as human beings, we have the freedom to do something about it. Okay. It's not, so anyone who hadn't, has an experience like that, that doesn't mean that's where they're going to head when they actually die. Because life, they have the whole thing about human beings is we have freedom, we have free will, we have awareness, we can change. And there's still the possibility to be the opposite to the greys and go to that wonderful place that uh, that so many people do describe um, in a near-death experience. So I, I would assume that you know, their, their concept of time is different than ours. You know, we, we only live for a short amount of time in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, when you're talking cosmic, co- cosmically, you know, our time is a blink in, in, the, in the blink in the eye of the cosmos. But how far back has this been going on? Has this been something that's been happening since the beginning of mankind? And are there signs in history that we can point to that show that this has been going on? Well, as I was mentioning, um, those Aborigine caves, which I think are seven or 8,000 years ago, and, and you can look them up online, actually. They have um, pictures that look literally exactly like the greys painted on the walls. Uh, they call them the Wangina. Um, all, and uh, there's um, all through history, there's been stories of jinns, um, of golem, that's the, in, the, um, in the Islamic religion, golem in the Jewish religion, um, pixies, you know, these, these mythical creatures that have been, seen, have been spoken about people, by people all through, all over the world, all through the ages, and they may well be describing uh, these greys. And and I would think too, if you look at the, you know some of the things that are in the Bible, there's probably warnings about them in the Bible. 
Well, absolutely. And um, so Nigel suggested um, that, so I don't, I don't know if you know about the Nag Hammadi um, Codex. So they were texts that were found in a cave um, in uh, in the Middle East, okay, by some young shepherd boys. Um, they found them to be. They, they scientists tested them and found them to be found them to be from the time of Christ, and they turned out to be texts that were uh, thrown out of the original New Testament. And in those um, in those texts, there are actually um, records of Jesus actually talking to his apostles about what sounds very much like the grace. And he was warning his apostles of um, something that would come and take away souls by theft. I think that's in the Apocalypse of James. And Nigel suggested that um, the temptation of Christ, okay, in which he was taken, shown the cities of the world, okay, from a great height, was indeed some kind of abduction and that the devil, the so-called devil, was actually um, gray alien, uh, some kind of gray alien entity. So. Um, rejected and managed to get rid of whatever was going on, but he, he suggested that that's exactly what was going on um, with the temptation at the time of Christ. So we we are dealing with something that can go far back. I know one of the things that that um, Nigel was very, and we discussed this before, is he was very interested in the Shroud of Turin and and how that can play into all of this. Yes, yes, exactly. So the Shroud of Turin is an absolutely remarkable um, piece of cloth, and um, I don't know if your listeners know about it, but um, it's it's been tested um, to by. Um, by scientists um, from all different kinds of backgrounds and it has holographic properties um, it has uh, it's like a photographic negative okay so it was actually the cloth that surround that was wrapped around Christ in his tomb okay and um, an, the Italian an Italian agency um, for new technologies okay tested the cloth okay and they they found that it had some kind of the imprint on the cloth, which is like an, a, a photographic negative, it's, it is the equivalent, it could only be created by a burst of radiation, right, which would have the power of 34 billion watts. There's no other way an image like that could have been created on the shroud. There's, there's absolutely nothing like it in the world. And uh, so Nigel suggested that Christ actually converted when he transfigured he converted his the atoms of his body into light and that made the image on the shroud now the significance of the shroud of shroud of Turin um, that Nigel explains in his book is that through the lives that he led and the truths that he explained to people Jesus was showing the antidote to the gray alien phenomenon he was showing the exact behavior that we need to um, have to so that these gray aliens wouldn't be able to touch touch us. And throughout the Nakamadi Codex, there are accounts of Jesus talking to his apostles, warning them about a threat that was uh, that came from the sky. OK, and explaining to them about how to deal with that threat. 
So, and and uh, as I just mentioned, his um, temptation where he was taken up does sound very, very much like some kind of um, abduction experience. Yeah, I mean, and, and it sounds too like if that was the case, I mean, I guess you got to look at it from a you know a religious perspective and what it is that you want to believe in, but think about what the implications are of that being one of the people that were abducted of, of Jesus being one of the people that was taken aboard and, and, and starting this process. Exactly. I mean, it just goes to show it can happen to anyone and he would have fascinated them because that coherence that I was talking about, that's that power. That's the only thing that they can't have. Okay. A light, if you like, that comes from another state that's not physical. I would guess it was at its greatest power in him. So he would have been a fascinating target to their artificially intelligent programs to figure out what is that source? How is it possible that that how can we get into that? And of course, they failed because it's 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 they can't possibly they they weren't able to compromise something as so powerfully human and natural as him. I, I could also imagine, too, that, you know, had this been done in a in a different way, it, is it possible that we could have you know worked with this species and 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 if it had could it have not been so adversarial had this had there been more of a uh, feeling of, of of camaraderie from the beginning? Uh, so camaraderie with the grace. Yeah, well, could there have been a way that we could have helped them experience what it is that they were trying to experience without having to, uh, to interfere, with, uh, without having to negatively affect us? That's a really interesting question. Yeah, good question. Okay, so the point is, these uh, uh, an artificial entity cannot feel camaraderie because an artificial entity cannot feel, just as our computer can't experience awareness, can't be aware, can't experience emotion. It would be like trying to make friends with your laptop. I mean, it's just not possible. So the reason why, and again, it's a little bit complex um, to explain, but I'll try and explain it as simply as I can. The reason why we are aware of our environment, okay, we, uh, we, we, can, we can feel, we can we we have a we're, we can view the world around us from a point of view of awareness. Okay, a machine can't do that. Artificial intelligence can't do that. So that there are people who believe that they can upload everything about their personality, their thoughts, their emotions, the details of their life onto a hard drive. Okay, and they will somehow exist in the future and live eternally physically. Okay. What they don't realize is that they won't actually, when they die, that will just be a hard drive. It will just be information. They won't be there to experience that information because anything that is does not have a beginning from a, from a place, uh, from a point outside the physical universe cannot be aware of what's in the physical universe. You have to have a reference of stillness. OK, to be aware of the passage of time. So awareness is being aware of past, present and future, the passing of moments. And unless you have a reference of stillness, you can't be aware of the passing of moments. So you can't be aware at all. 
And because the artificial intelligence doesn't have that reference of stillness, of timelessness that comes from before time began, they have no awareness. They're only data. So there is no way we could make a relationship or have any camaraderie with something that doesn't really exist as an awareness or a consciousness. So now looking forward and, and seeing the way that, you know, the, the research that Nigel's done and that you've been able to pick up and being able to. So what what do we do now? What what can we do to better arm ourselves against this? So that's the crucial question, and, I, and I'm glad you asked that, because it would seem like a very uh, negative picture into the future where we, we seem to be heading so quickly into the, a similar kind of um, artificial virtual existence as the, those planets that produce the greys in the first place. So the antidote is simply, as I mentioned before, be as opposite to that as we possibly can. Re value our humanity and our sense of love and caring for each other as the most precious thing in the universe and never compromise it. Okay, so if, if, if um, there's a group of young people sitting in a room, right, nowadays, everyone's on their phone. Okay, they're not talking to each other. They're just watching a virtual world on their phone. OK, in the past, people would sit and talk to each other. They'd relate to each other. That's just one example. OK, but we tend to rather than um, make have human connections with each other. Now we live we tend to live through social media and we, we focus everything we have on the likes and the dislikes uh, on a social media platform. That's another example. OK, so. If we avoid going in that direction, if we value real human connection, uh, making do just so just like the near death experiences where people, um, the, the most real, powerful, in fact, the only meaningful experiences are where people have given a sense of joy or freedom to somebody else or love to somebody else. Do that. That's where value lies. And if you do that, no artificially intelligent program will be able to influence you where it matters. And when you die, you will go to that beautiful light and you won't be caught at the edges and face something dark and empty, like a void. And that dark, empty void is, is the same, is only the same dark, empty void that we create for ourselves when we don't have meaning in our lives. So that emptiness is out there right now. Many people are empty. They don't have a sense of purpose. They don't have a sense of meaning. And, and, that, and I was going to say on, that, that, that emptiness that they feel um, sometimes just takes somebody saying what it is that you're saying to give them that direction, to give them an idea that there is there can be a mission and there can be something more to it. Uh, sure, sure. And, and, but the trouble is the whole um, cascade of effect in the world is just pushing in the other direction towards um, technology, the newest technologies being the ultimate focus. You get people, the latest iPhone comes out and you have people screaming outside the, um, the shops for, the, for this uh, slightly different piece of technology that becomes like a god to people. 
Okay, so so that that is the momentum that people are being pushed towards, and it's it, the, the other signal is is just very very quiet that maybe there's something a little better than that. Maybe there's something more meaningful that we should be sticking with. We're, we're talking about the, the work that Nigel and yourself have done to kind of bring this out of the shadows and bring it into the light. But are there are there forces outside of the greys themselves? But are there forces here on this planet that are working to to keep this information secret? Um, for sure. Uh, that there are, I mean, that's for so it's there's so much evidence um, throughout the years, and people, uh, many books have been written about it with the of the conspiracy to hide what's going on um, with the grey alien phenomenon. And it's only recently, in fact, that um, the U.S. government has actually um, set up a special committee to look into um, craft that are not. Uh, man-made unbelievably so there's been a huge turnaround and incredibly the um the, the senate has actually said that um I've, I've just got it here i'm just going to read it to you so um last year trump's director of national intelligence john ratcliffe had already said that ufos exhibit technologies that we don't have and are not capable of defending against Look, the bottom line is unidentified aerial phenomenon. Many, many cases we can explain it away for reasons like visual disturbances or weather phenomenon or foreign adversaries and their technologies or even our own experimental technologies with certain aircraft and vehicles. But he said there are a number of instances where we've ruled all of that out. And that's the director of national intelligence saying that. And there's been now there's a new bill that notes that sightings of craft that come out of water into the air may form threats to the United States national security. And those sightings are expanding exponentially. Most strikingly, the newly set up office is asked to focus only on objects that are not man made. So there's been a huge shift from what was originally a cover up. OK, and where there was great denial of the existence and of the UFO phenomenon. And it was um, anybody who um, who saw it was was ridiculed, OK, to some kind of disclosure. Now, I can't begin to understand exactly what the processes are behind that. But Nigel did say um, before he died that there would come a point where the governments of the, of the world would make this disclosure when the timing was right. Well, I, I don't know how much longer they can wait at this point because uh, the the pressure is on. Not you know not only because more of this is happening and, and more of it is is coming to light, but because people just want to know the answers. And and but you know before you could kind of understand the concept of you're not ready for this. But I think the way that people have responded to the congressional hearings and and this discussion now in mainstream media. I think people are kind of, you know, ready to hear about it. And I, I think that as you're, you know, with, with what you're saying, the sooner we can discuss it openly, the, the better we can protect ourselves from it. Uh, uh, one would hope so. So long as, so long as people are aware of the nature of what this is and don't embrace it as something to be welcomed. So I, I just hope that this current disclosure is not just because we're ready to merge with them. Yeah. 
No, I agree with that for sure. Uh, in just the final few moments that we have here, so the book is available now if people want to be able to pick it up. It's uh, it's Gray Aliens and Artificial Intelligence, The Battle Between Natural and Synthetic Beings for the Human Soul. Uh, you can get it from Amazon. You can get it from Barnes & Noble, Simon & Schuster. All the different websites have it. Uh, what are you hearing from anybody who has you know read the book? And are, are you are you planning to pick up any more of Nigel's work and, and write your own book and, and put your own stuff out going forward? Well, um, not so much my own stuff, but I, uh, Nigel did leave behind the manuscripts for a couple more books, which were, he was going to work on a little bit more before we put them forward for publication. So um, I'm hoping eventually to put that uh, material together in a format that um, would be suitable uh, for publication. It's a little bit all over the place at the moment, but I, I could edit it, put it together because there's lots of very, very valuable stuff there. And yes, in the future, uh, at some point, I hope to be able to um, put it out there so that people can uh, take a look at it. Yeah, for sure. Well, absolutely. Keep us up to date with everything. Uh, and then we will have you back on to talk about it in the future. Wonderful. Thanks so much for having me on, Tim. It's been great speaking to you. Uh, likewise, that is Danielle Silverman. Again, the book is Gray Aliens and Artificial Intelligence by our old friend Nigel Kerner, who is no longer with us. But thankfully, Danielle is uh, is carrying on his work. All right. Well, that is going to do it for tonight's edition of Spooky South Coast. We'll be back next year uh, because the next couple of weeks are holidays, so we won't be on the air you won't hear a new episode on Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. Go out, spend time with your family or your friends or whatever. You don't need us. But uh, we will talk with you next year in 2023. And we are just weeks away from our big 17th anniversary program. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to being able to... Um, you know, celebrate with all of you as we do each year. And uh, that also means, you know, we'll probably have a little champagne in the studio as well. So thank you all for listening. And because we won't talk to you until 2023, I hope that you all have a great holiday, no matter what holiday it is that you celebrate, whether it be Hanukkah, Christmas, Festivus, Kwanzaa, anything. I hope that it is the best one ever. And I wish you a happy new year. And we'll talk to you again on the other side of the calendar. Until next time, for Matt, for Stephanie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular.